Did you ever eat a persimmon? Where I grew up in California, persimmon trees grew and produced beautiful, juicy fruit. My sister Beverly had one in her backyard. It had hundreds of fruits on it. If you let them ripen on the tree in the fall, you could pick one, bright orange, cut it open, and eat the pulp like candy. My mom used to make persimmon bread. Well, it was more like a cake. She baked it in a coffee can. It was delicious. How can you go wrong? Sugar, butter, eggs, flour, vanilla, and lots of ripe persimmon puree. Beverly used to make persimmon cookies, and I would wait anxiously for the trays to come out of the oven. You gotta wait until they cool, she'd say. Yeah, yeah, maybe next time. And I'd grab them, so hot that they'd almost fall apart. I used to think persimmons were native to Japan, but they had originally come from China. Then we got here to the mountains of western North Carolina. And one day, years ago, my friend Clifton says to me, let's see how the persimmons are doing. Persimmons? What persimmons? We walked down my backyard to the woods, and he pointed out several trees. This one, that one, uh, that one over there, they're all persimmons. Some had fruit, some had none. Turns out there is a male and a female tree. The fruit was small, maybe an inch, maybe two in, di in diameter. It had large seeds inside, mostly seeds. Try one, he said. I stuck one in my mouth. Yeah, it's a persimmon. Delicious. I don't see how you get enough flesh for a cake, though. It was almost all seeds. You know, the Indians ate persimmons, ate them fresh, and dried them to eat in the winter. I did not know that. So I learned something new. The American persimmon, Diosporos virginiana, grows along the East Coast. It can tolerate lots of cold. We've had it down here to five below zero, and the trees all survived. So this morning, I was wondering, what will winter be like? Harsh? Mild? There's old weather lore in these mountains that says, Persimmon seeds will tell you what winter will be like. You remove the seeds, cut them down the center with a sharp knife, and you will see a white figure in the dark seed. It will be in the shape of a knife or a fork or a spoon. I walked down to those persimmon trees to look for fruit, and there was none. It's all been gobbled up by animals. Oh, no. Well, I'm fortunate to have a neighbor who lives below us on the other side of a big hayfield. Her name is Reen May. You remember my interview with Clifton Buckner several months ago? Well, she's his niece. I call her the Persimmon Whisperer. Every fall, she cuts open persimmon seeds to read the signs. So I head down there with Sammy this morning, and I find her. So what do the persimmons say? Her face falls. It's not good news, Ernie. Lots of knives and a few spoons. Knives and spoons? Yes, the knives mean cutting cold, and the spoons 
means snow. It will be a tough one. I almost wish I hadn't gone down to see her. Now I really have to head out with my chainsaw and cut some serious firewood. Hello, this is Ernie Johnson, founder of Anashira. As these mountains of western North Carolina are home to many wild American persimmon trees, they are also home to two friendly goats, Mama and Razzie, who give me milk to make my handcrafted soaps not found in any other place in the world. Last week, I left us on the coast of the Caribbean Ocean in the isolated state of La Guajira in Colombia. Let's head back there and see what my ex, late mother-in-law, Ligia, had to propose to me in this week's episode of Stories from Anashira. just eaten delicious, fresh-caught and fried mojarra ocean perches. More than we needed. The sun is going down, and I asked Ligia how she found this private, isolated cove and beach. She was quiet for a moment, and then says, Ernesto, you've been talking about raising and marketing those Malaysian prawns, right? Yes, that's correct. Thinking about it, And you said you needed salt water for the babies, right? Yes, the larvae live in brackish water before moving to fresh water. Well, here is your place. Salt water for the larvae and fresh water river for the big ones. Yes, but it's not my salt water or fresh water. That's true, but I know the owner. I couldn't buy this land for you and you establish your business and buy the land from me when your business is successful. What do you say? I thought for a moment. Maria was looking at me with a smile on her face. Sounded good to her. Uh, Ligia, that's a very generous offer. I was shocked. I'd known that Maria's mother wanted us to live in Colombia, but this was very sudden. You know, Ligia... I need to do a lot of in-depth work on these animals, and most of the research is being done in the States. I need to talk to Maria about it, but I think I need to go back to California and get serious and make a solid business plan. Yes, I think you need to talk about it with Maria. But to me, this seems like an ideal opportunity for you. So we called it a day and hit the hammocks. It should have been paradise for me. The sound of the waves, not far away, a light breeze, the opportunity to make this place the base of a new business and a new life. But it wasn't that easy. I realized that if I said yes to this offer, I would be dependent on Lichia for a long period. And I knew that her dominating personality would grate with me. My mind was going all night long. I got up in the morning, had a cup of strong Colombian coffee, and went for a walk with Maria to discuss the situation. She was excited about the offer. I knew she'd like to be closer to her family. I was hesitant. 
Yes, it's very generous of your mother, I said. But I am nowhere ready to start this business. And if we did this and it didn't work, we'd be stuck here in Colombia. There are a lot worse places to be. I know, but I'm not ready yet. So I told Ligia that I wanted to keep my options open. Little did I know, but Ligia had also been working hard on Claudia and Gilberto with a similar end in mind. Ligia and Capitan Gonzalez had started a side business together, raising honeybees and harvesting and selling the honey. She had access to a great deal of land, and it was relatively inexpensive to stock hives with bees. What they needed was dependable labor to travel around the countryside and to tend to the bees and harvest the honey. So she sat down with Claudia and Gilberto and made an offer to them that was hard to refuse. They would work in the apiaries and in return be rewarded with part ownership of the business. She'd give them room and board. Gilberto was vulnerable to such a proposition. He had been working for years in the hotel industry in Spain, but had no university degree and no language skills. His future there was limited. I didn't know about this offer at the time. After a few days, we headed back to Bogota. We stopped along the way in the port city of Barranquilla, industrial, bustling, crowded. Ligia took us to visit a friend of the family, a German immigrant by the name of Willi Neumann. He had arrived nearly penniless in Colombia years before. Anne Maria's father had been helpful to him, helped him establish his business and get settled. He had a nice company making hand-carved mahogany doors, using wood from trees from the north of Colombia. Beautiful carved panels. Vili and I got along. We got along well. He showed me all through his factory, which employed a number of local craftsmen. These doors would look beautiful on houses in your country, he said to me. Yes, they certainly would. And we headed back up in the Andes. It got cooler the more we climbed. It was downright cold in the back of the truck the last hundred miles. It was good to get back to hot showers, clean clothes, and out of hammocks into comfortable beds. And you know, at 8,600 foot altitude, there are a lot fewer bugs. Donald and Raymond were having a fine vacation, but it was nearing time to get back to work for RTZ at the copper mine in Rio Tinto. Donald didn't want to leave. Hey, Ernie, could you use some help with your shrimp business? Donald, if I do do that business, it won't generate any cash flow for a long time. I couldn't pay you anything. I don't need much, mate, he said. Fresh fish, arepas, and a few bottles of Aguila beer. I'm good to go. I explained we weren't staying there at this time. Donald just didn't want to go back to work. Artie, he said to my brother-in-law, I just don't feel well enough to fly. Do you know a doctor who would write a letter to my employers telling them that I'm too ill to travel by air? No problem, Donald. How much time do you need? A week? Two weeks? 
Two weeks would be enough. So Artie took him off to the family doctor who discovered that he had a case of amoebic dysentery. He must have been infected by contaminated water in La Guajita. The doctor wrote that he could expect full recovery within two to four weeks. Donald was happy, and he sent off the letter. I may recover quicker than that, but I have options, he said. One night before Raymond flew out, Artie said, Guys, a goodbye party for Ray. Artie took the Aussies and Gilberto and me out after dinner. We didn't really go to bars in Colombia, but Artie took us to a strange place. It looked more like a house in a neighborhood. Artie rang the doorbell, spoke with someone, and the door opened and we went in. Lots of easy chairs. A woman took our drink orders. Relax, guys, said Arturo. We each had a scotch, and I noticed lots of women around coming to sit near us. Hey, Artie, what kind of place is this? Don't worry, gringo. We need to have a nice goodbye for Raymond. I turned to Gilberto. Hey, Beto, do you know where we are? It's not some place I want to tell Claudia about. So we had a couple of drinks and we left. And Artie took us to another place. More opulent. Same kind of business. Donald and Raymond were having a fine time chatting with the girls. I turned to Beto. Man, do not do anything foolish. If you do, you'll catch something that will stay with you. Don't worry, gringo. That's not going to happen. When we finally left, Raymond and Donald were walking unsteadily. Artie said, Seriously, guys, not a word of this to Claudia, Maria, and certainly not to my mother, or we're dead meat. Beto blurts out, But we didn't do anything. Doesn't make any difference. Just by being here, you did something. So we got home late. No one said a thing, not a word, not to this day. Gilberto and Claudia had looked into the bee business and decided they wanted to give it a try. I talked to Gilberto. You sure you want to do this? You know how dominant Ligia is. What if it doesn't work out? Tranquilo, gringo. Todo va bien. No te preocupes. Relax, gringo. Everything's good. Don't worry. So Ray flew back to the mines in Rio Tinto. Gilberto and Claudia flew back to Valladolid, Spain, where he gave notice to the Melia hotels. And Claudia packed up their stuff and shipped it off to Colombia. Before Raymond left, Donald said to him, Now, when they ask how I'm doing, tell them I'm slowly improving. Tell them I hope to be able to travel in a week or two. Doctor won't let me go now. Donald, Artie, Maria, and I hung out. We spent time at their ranches. They had a finca, a ranch, called San Antonio, on the Savannah de Bogota, the Savannah of Bogota. Beautiful ranch, beautiful, verdant countryside, rich grass, plenty of rainfall. We drove northeast from Bogota to, toward a town called Sipaquira, about an hour away. And this ranch had a beautiful house, cattle, full staff. Ligia and Arturo had planted about a hectare of artichokes. 
The climate is similar to the coast of California. Mild, cool, no winters. The plants flourished, beautiful, big buds, delicious. The problem was there was no market in Colombia for this particular food. For me, an artichoke was a delicacy. For most Colombians, it was a thistle. We ate a lot of meat, grilled beef, lamb, goat, and artichokes. We spent days fishing for trout in a lake called Tota at almost 10,000 feet in altitude. We'd gone to see the underground Catedral de Sal, the salt cathedral in Sipaquira. <sighs> I said to Maria, you know, I'm touristed out. She was too. We agreed that we'd head for California as soon as Gilberto and Claudia got back from Spain. We took Donald to the airport and he flew back to Rio Tinto. Claudia and Gilberto got back and Ligia put them right to work with their bees. I sat down with Gilberto shortly before we left. So what do you think, Beto? Good decision to come back here to live? He said he couldn't yet decide. Give me a few months and I'll let you know. We say goodbye to everyone and flew back to California. I must admit, it was strange to return after three years. Lots of cars, big cars, lots of fast food joints, people talking about television they'd been watching. It was good to see my family. We stayed with my folks until I could decide what to do next. I jumped into studies about the Malaysian prawns. I was surprised to hear that one of my neighbors, Stuart Weil, was involved with these prawns. Stuart and his two brothers and sister grew up across the street from me. We hung around as kids. I called him. Hey, Stu, I hear you're raising Malaysian prawns. Can you show me what you're doing? So I drove out to Pinedale, where he'd rented a building. I walked in, and he had a number of tanks, pumps going, pipes connecting them. I said, so tell me, are you making a living growing these prawns? Are you crazy? Turns out he was just learning how to manage the larvae, how to transition from salt water to, to fresh water as the animals grew, what food to use. There wasn't much of a market for the shrimp as a food yet. He did sell them to hobbyists and stores to put in aquariums. Stuart was lucky. He had a father who'd been successful in business and was able to help him out financially. I explained to Stuart about this place in La Guajira. Do you think I could raise him using ocean water and river water? We talked about cages and ponds, about food, about harvesting and shipping, about the market near La Guajira. He told me how long he'd been working on his business to get where he was. I reflected on what it would take in cash to get the business going in Colombia, not counting the investment in real estate. That's when I decided that I really needed some other way to make my fortune. And that's when I started thinking seriously about the jojoba, which I told you about in an earlier episode. Remember those that one dynamite and figs? I needed to find a job. I didn't want a career. I wanted to make enough money to live 
and have time enough to learn about growing the jojoba. There weren't a lot of jobs in Fresno in those days. We were coming out of the recession of the 70s, and other than agriculture, there wasn't much going on in Fresno. I looked through the one ads. I sent out resumes every day. I called everybody I knew. A buddy of mine from college, a guy named Michael Butler, had a small construction company. He hired me to help him out. I'd worked for him some in college. It's actually pretty funny. If you knew me, then you wouldn't even think I'd make a good carpenter. Not a rough carpenter, not a finished carpenter. But Mike was very patient and also forgiving. Also, I had been best man in his wedding, so he bore me much goodwill. But I'm going to stop now. I'll continue this story later. You know, I'm glad I ran into Stuart when I did. His words made me step back from the aquaculture business. Now, Stuart continued working with those prawns. He solved problem after problem over the course of years. He moved on and began selling them as edible live shrimp on ice. He said he got eight fifty dollars a pound for them at one time and made a good living. Then the aquaculture industry around the country started to develop. We got $3 a pound. I couldn't beat them. And I quit the food business, he says. He learned what was needed in the aquarium industry was frogs. He started raising African dwarf frogs, a huge number of those frogs. He ships them all over the country. So my old neighbor and childhood buddy is now known as the Jewish Frogman of Madeira. You have a couple of months to take advantage of my fall discount until the first day of winter. Go to anashira.com and enter discount code FALLSTORIES17. That's FALLSTORIES17 altogether. It's good for only for you listeners of these podcasts, and I will get you a 17% discount. I encourage you to start your holiday shopping early. Halloween is right around the corner. Are you giving a party? Need some small gifts to give away? You can't beat a bar of my smooth, luxurious, one-of-a-kind goat milk soaps. Or give yourself a treat. I know you deserve it. Oh, we opened up a big new pasture for Mama and Razzie, my two goats. I milk them, and they're a key part of my business. But they really are just big old pets. They walk out of their barn, head past their water trough, up about 10 feet, turn right, go through a gate that's now open, and in front of them is a whole new world. They can walk straight for 100 yards or head up the mountain. And along the fences are some of their favorite plants, briars. Neither horses nor cows will ever eat them, but they are delicacies to these two goats. Some days when I go to feed them, they'll be up on the mountain, far away. I can't even see them. And I have to yell, Hey, Mama, Razzie, are you guys hungry? You ready for some breakfast? Come on and eat. I should share one more thing with you. I told you that Claudia and Gilberto had moved to Colombia to work for Ligia. 
Well, unfortunately, that honeybee business didn't last. But Lehia didn't abandon them. She put them to work running one of her big ranches. They managed it. Not a lot of physical labor, but they've lived a good life. I'm happy that I didn't stay. I value my independence highly, and I would have lost it under those conditions. Folks, thanks for listening to this podcast. Join me next time as I share more adventures in my next Stories from Anashira. Anashira.